0: You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub, where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching.
1: Welcome to this week's Coaching Inn. I'm Claire Pedrick, and today it's my great pleasure to have Sam Isaacson back for a return visit. Um, Sam, you'll remember, has talked to us before about Uh, technology and coaching and his book superhuman coaching and uh, we agreed a long time ago Sam that we would talk about apprenticeships in coaching Mm. and how that kind of operates in organizations so welcome back.
0: It's great to be back you know the coaching in is a welcoming place and so it's always nice to come back thank you.
1: Well you are most welcome. So tell us a bit about you for people who are listening to you for the first time.
0: Well uh, hello everyone my name is Sam Isaacson. Um, I I have a background in uh, professional services. I was a technology risk consultant for many years before starting to build out a coaching services business within Grant Thornton which is one of the big professional services firms. Um, I left there Well, gosh, beginning of last year and at the time of recordings, that would be beginning of 2022 to join Coach Hub to lead their global consulting work and uh, left Coach Hub earlier this year. um, And now I'm doing my own thing, talking to coaches and organisations around coaching and particularly coaching with technology and coaching in organisations.
1: Brilliant. So we got lots to talk about.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, it never ends.
1: So why don't we start with the apprenticeships so we don't forget? And I don't have to put it back on my list.
0: Talk to, <laughs> talk
1: to Sam about coaching apprenticeships.
0: Under a rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the reason why it would be good to have a conversation about apprenticeships is because I, um, by complete accident, ended up stumbling into a role. This was probably 2018, I think, uh, where I picked up the chair of what is called the Coaching Professional Apprenticeship Trailblazer Group. So uh, within the world of uh, apprenticeships, then the government um, provides permission for organisations to kind of band together in what are called trailblazer groups Mm -hmm. to define what apprenticeship standards ought to look like. So if you are going to become, I don't know, a roofer, then that when you do the roofing apprenticeship, you know that every roofing apprentice in the country is being uh, is being trained and measured against the same standard, and that that standard has been defined by the employers of those roofers, rather than by some professional body or some training providers. Who you know, as much as they might have the textbook knowledge, is meant to be very practical in terms of what employers are looking for, and so. With my group, then we got, um, it was uh, wild, more than 100 employers of coaches um, wanted to contribute to the standard to say, you know, in our organization, coaching should look like this. Um, And so over quite a long period, it felt like at the time, we worked together to define what is the role of a Coach, you know what? What are the daily duties that a coach would be carrying out inside mm. an organization? What, as the knowledge and skills and behaviours that a good coach would have, um, and ultimately, then what would it look like to consistently assess whether somebody is a, a good? coach you know has gone through a training program and has got to a point where they're now kind of fully competent to be delivering that well within organizations Um, and so yes it was a large group of employers we also had some training providers um, represented in there as well to give us an understanding in terms of kind of what's possible I suppose Mm. um, as well as the big professional bodies which for me that felt like it was a great um, opportunity to support uh, an open dialogue where we get professional bodies that you know have points of difference and that's why there's more than one of them but to get them to all agree and say actually yeah if somebody has gone through this program then that would make them a good coach Um and so I was really pleased like I said I picked up the role in 2018 it was in 2020 that the Secretary of State for Education signed it off as an official apprenticeship and so by the end of that year, then the first programs had started. Well, wow. My understanding is that it is the largest coaching qualification in England. That's it's a little bit anecdotal. I haven't seen solid facts about that. But certainly when I speak to the training providers, then it tends to be their largest programs by a big, big distance. And the reason for that, I didn't say this earlier, is because employers who are wanting to train their people to become coaches, and fund apprenticeship training through what's called the apprenticeship levy, a uh, levy pot that they pay into, which obviously they can't do with other forms of training. So that's, um, I'm really pleased with kind of where it's gotten, the uh, impact it's having, and everybody that I meet that has been on a programme or, you know, is, in, is involved in that world says that it's good. So um, it's really nice to be associated with it, yeah.
1: That sounds like a bit of world-changing work, Sam.
0: yes yes there we go that if i've done one thing then it's that yeah i think it was my opportunity of saying uh, i suppose a lot of employers say you know we're really interested in coaching and they might run a workshop and get people to you know have a half day where they learn the grow model or they might even train some people and use a, a, a some kind of qualification that's out there but to be able to give employers something that's attractive for them to use because it doesn't cost them cash to um, put people onto those programs um, and that has met the standards of the professional bodies. So if in effect, what we're saying is, you know, this is a, a high quality. It's not always going to be accredited because of some of the technicalities of it. But, you know, if you go through this program, it's in effect that you've got to the same level as an accredited coach would have. Well, if that's, the most attractive way that employers build up their internal pool of coaches isn't that great in terms of in, improving consistency and quality of coaching at least in england you know it's not quite internationally but you know changing the country that's um yeah that's really exciting yeah i'm really pleased
1: wow and how do people find out about the apprenticeship if they're an employer or a or a trainer or whatever where's the information so, source
0: yes there's the, the website um I th- yes it's the institute for apprenticeships and technical education um i think that the website is instituteforapprenticeships.org but if you search for institute for apprenticeships yeah. then you um, you'll find it and the official name for the apprenticeship standard is coaching professional wow so there's a there's a quite a few different coaching apprenticeships you know apprenticeships that have got the word coach in them like yeah. agile coach or sports coach or um there's one that's assessor coach which is a very specific use of that term in the education sector um but yeah the coaching professional one it's got my name on it so you, you might be able to recognize it from that and you'll see it's got the kind of ICF EMCC wow I L M C M I Association for Coaching. You know their names are on there as well. So
1: amazing
0: it's, yeah it's great. Mm.
1: So What surprised you in that process, Sam?
0: Um, Well, I think probably the biggest, it was a very interesting conversation. What was was surprising me the most throughout the whole process was that there was this world that existed that I had no idea about. So, you know, every so often you kind of discover a job. That somebody has and you go oh that's interesting i never even thought that anybody would have that job and then it turns out that hundreds of thousands of people (laughs) have the same job (laughs) and apprenticeships is this highly technical world with lots of regulations and lots of people work in that space and it's you know they find it very interesting Um, and in some ways of course it's very similar in, in terms of the ultimate objective between apprenticeships and coaching, really, you know, you're trying to help people to develop and apprenticeships is one route to do that and coaching is a different one, maybe slightly different populations, but it's the same Mm. kind of general world. But the way of thinking is quite different. So the Institute for Apprenticeships and Technical Education likes things to be done in very quantifiable, predictable, very consistent, black and white, sits in neat rows and that's entirely appropriate, of course. If you're going to have something that's run consistently across thousands of organisations, then actually you need some clear boundaries around kind of where everything sits. Whereas in the coaching world, we tend to be a lot more ambiguous, quite intentionally ambiguous. And you know, mm-hmm. we're on it's you know it's about your personal experience and journey. So one example of that would be uh, uh, one of the pieces of evidence that we had put forward. To suggest that you're a good coach is your reflective practice and so a piece of evidence that you could use would be your co- your reflection notes and the institute did not like that at all <laughs> because they said well you're just never allowed to use self-reflection as evidence of skill and we, we managed to we managed to twist their arms and convince them that when the skill that we're looking for is self-reflection, then that seems like an appropriate. That's thing true. To do.
1: But I actually kind of agree with them. <laughs> uh, go, on,
0: go on, say more. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with them because the thing about self-reflection is it's a really useful thing, but you don't know how, the impact of what what the impact of what you did had on the other person. Um no. so real observable data is also useful right
0: (laughs) yes yeah absolutely so the the way that um every apprentice in the country is assessed in the same way and the way they're assessed is through being observed coaching Ah, somebody brilliant Um, there's some other bits to it as well but that's kind of the core piece of it um and we designed it that way because it seemed like we, we want this to be the best assessment ever you know for for coaching and i know that you could do a quiz to see if you know the right answers but actually it's really about you know how you are as a coach and that's the only way you can test that is by observing yeah. it
1: yeah well I should be heading straight to that website when we finish our conversation I'm telling you,
0: <laughs> Thank you. I think it's a really helpful document you know you can download the documents yeah. for free they're available there and like I say the professional bodies have all contributed to it so um, in terms of a a really robust, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Comprehensive, a really comprehensive overview of this is what makes a good foundation level coach. You know, this is not yeah. we're not looking for um, the kind of absolute top coach here, but a really good quality coach that an employer would be happy with. Wow, and there in nice and neat detail. So yeah, it, it's good. Mm.
1: So you sprung into that from your work in an organization, developing their coaching people. Mm. So I'm really curious what what's your passion around organizational coaching, Sam?
0: Well, I suppose, you know, my background is it's in professional services. And so I have a and specifically within, you know, this world of technology risk consulting, a lot of that is around governance, risk and compliance. Um and something that the coaching world tends to lack is um good practice governance risk and compliance Or you know coaching does tend to happen in a more um decentralized manner uh, you know because the conversations are t- confidential then the way that we evaluate it tends to be anecdotal um Generally speaking, this is a little bit of a judgmental statement, but I do think it 's true but generally speaking, coaches have a tendency away from things like spreadsheets and management control processes you know we 're much more comfortable just in a nice, pleasant conversation with people and so something that I've been talking about for quite a while now really is how to mature the control environment within which coaching operates. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know, you know, f- can feel a little bit foreign sometimes when you want to have, as you know, all the freedom that you possibly can and you want to be led in an emergent way. Um, and I don't think that those two things are diametrically opposed, but they don't, you know, you don't naturally kind of connect one with the other. But I think that doing that properly actually helps you to monitor the impact of it and demonstrate that more easily, which then helps with, you know, buy in from, people who are kind of within the business and so helps mm. investment as well
1: because impact and feeling are so very different aren't they mm. it's interesting because in Tunde Adosh, adosh's research when she were, was doing her phd and her coaching with the present stuff you know her her information that what the coach self-reports versus what the video data says and what the thinker mm. says are completely a different and and the coach will always report a, a better view mm-hmm. than the thinker or or the video evidence of actually what happened in the room, which is so interesting. And you've really got me connecting with that recent report on the British News about the life coaching scam. Mm-hmm. Uh, where people had given over thousands and thousands of pounds. Mm. I don't know if you if you saw yes. that reported. Yeah, I did. But, yeah. but standards and risk. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that recently, and how important it is that coaches be- belong to a professional body not not as much for the coach, but because it gives power to the client, the customer, to know what to do if something goes wrong.
0: Yes, and to know how to even just at a very high level to know how to determine if this is going according to plan or not. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then have an action if it isn't. Mm. Yeah. Um. Whereas if the only person you can complain to or check something out with is the person who's doing it, you're, if you, if we go back to the roofers.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And your roof is doing your roof and you're thinking, That doesn't look normal. And you say to the roofer, is this okay?" And the roofer goes, oh, yes,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) You want to go back to the roofing people, don't you? The people who know about roofing and go, is my roof going to fall in?
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, gosh. Oh, yes. No, this is a a trigger of thought in me. You know, I spend a lot of my time thinking about how technology is influencing the future of coaching and something that's coming up quite a lot recently is, you've probably seen this as well, that with the simple conversational AI tools that everybody now has access to, ChatGPT and this sort of thing, you can tell that to start coaching you. And it does a pretty good job, a really good job, actually, better than a lot of human coaches in some ways. (laughs) Um, And then the challenge is, well, obviously the technology is improving and people are going to be working hard at it. So there's going to be a tipping point where AI takes over, from a human surely um and then the question arises or at least it does for me what is it what is it about you know what is it that makes coaching coaching because if all it is is listening well summarizing back asking open questions sticking to a topic following a model the stuff that we're kind of all trained in our first couple of weeks as being trained as coaches well, AI can quite easily do all of that, actually, and demonstrably better than a human. Mm. And yet we still, you know, carry this sense around with us where actually there's things that humans do as coaches that are valuable and a part of the coaching experience, which are innately human. So just the fact of sitting and being with somebody, that's a really powerful thing that a coach does which a robot cannot because it's not human. <laughs> so have we got our definitions of coaching you know, slightly wrong? Do we need to kind of revisit what, what coaching really is to sort of help us to understand what is it that we're really bringing and what is it that makes us different?
1: Thank you for plugging our new book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go on, name it, name it.
1: <laughs> 13th of November, The Human Behind the Coach. And and my gut feeling is that coaching is about 90% human and about 10% technical. And that technical bit really, really matters. Mm. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, isn't it interesting? Because one of the things that happens when human people coach someone else is that it's really easy to get lost in the stuff. Mm. And you can program you can program a computer to not get lost in the stuff. So of course it's going to be better in that bit. Mm. But the the human to human contact where my courage impacts your courage and my vulnerability impacts your vulnerability. yeah, That's the bit that the robot can't do, isn't it?
0: That is exactly what I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. That's exactly where we landed that coaches some of the things that coaches do that are most effective, you look at it and you try to sort of analyse, oh, well, at that moment, then you asked about the assumption that the other person had or you held this silence for just a bit longer than was comfortable and that's where the power was. Actually, the reason why it's powerful isn't necessarily in the specific action, but it's in the bravery that lay behind it. And AI does not feel bravery. It just... Just processes. Yeah. Yes.
1: We should do a double act. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah, yeah, it's it's so interesting. So going back, we were we were talking about about organisational coaching and Mm. and I love the fact that now it's a legitimate thing with apprenticeships. You know, that's spreading coaching more widely, isn't it? I, I I had a supervision yesterday with some people and. One of them said, you know, you've been around, Claire, for 35 years. What have you noticed in the profession? Mm. And I wish I'd known yesterday what I know today. Because <laughs> it would have been, I'll send them all a message, say, oh, it's been a bit legitimised. Because when I started out, people didn't know what I was talking about.
0: Mm.
1: And actually, that's still true sometimes, isn't it? But it's getting less true. But mm. my, so sorry, that was a very long and rambly way of saying What's your hope for the profession for the next twenty-five years?
0: Oh gosh, what a question! Can I? Um, I I'm not sure if I'm going to answer the question, but I've, I've kind of got a direction of thought that my mind has gone in. So let's go. Find, uh, so if I take it from the angle of an organisation and just sort of play it out, so I've been I've developed this model. I mean, I say I've developed it. I've basically taken good practice governance and risk management models and sort of stuck coaching into it. Um, And for me, this helps me to understand the direction of travel that I'm hoping the organization's approach to coaching goes. And so I wonder if I go down this route, if it's going to end up answering that question. If it doesn't, then maybe we can connect the dots at the end. Um, But uh, it's a five five-stage model. You don't necessarily have to go kind of stage one, then stage two, then stage three, but it makes a lot of sense that this is where organizations go, and hopefully this will ring true for you. At stage one, this is where an organization has never had coaching before, and maybe somebody joins the organization, and because they've had coaching in the past, they recognize it's a helpful thing. So when a coachable person appears on their radar, they go, oh, you could probably do some coaching. I'll put you in touch with my old coach and they kind of bring the coach in and that's the first experience that the organization has and a lot of organizations have this is the way that they have coaching an individual coach kind of gets in and interacts with different pockets of the business and it happens differently in one department with another one so there's no real control there's no strategy behind it it's just coaching is just starting to happen decentralized that's level one level two is where that begins to get centralised, typically around a person. So an individual joins the L&D department, typically, um, and let's give him a name, Chris. So Chris is now in the L&D department. Chris is a coach. Chris loves coaching. And so suddenly notices, oh, it would be helpful to introduce coaching across the organisation. And so starts to tell people we can do some coaching. And then when those coaching needs arise, then... Maybe not all the time because people don't always know it, it kind of happens through conversation. People go, oh, I'll talk to Chris. Chris has got a list of coaches that they trust and then they bring those coaches in. But when Chris leaves the organisation, effectively coaching leaves with them. So level three is where you can take-
1: I just can I go just on. say this is so familiar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Good.
1: Anecdotally, I totally agree with you. Keep going. Level three.
0: Yeah, so level one, decentralised. Level two, key person. Level three is that basically Chris's mind is put into a set of documents, maybe even a technology system, so that the process that Chris follows to identify a coach and assess the coaching need and determine how many sessions of coaching happen in an engagement, because that's different from organisation to organisation, that gets designed into a set of processes and policies and procedures that everybody then has a shared understanding so that when Chris leaves, the documents remain. And so the process continues to operate and it's not indefinitely sustainable, but it's definitely more sustainable. It's been designed. Level four is then when you're able to monitor what's happening. So it's not just been designed, but the data sort of exists somewhere so that you're able to say we're six months into the year, how much coaching has happened many sessions in these different departments you know we're getting a level of insight into what's having happening even maybe a level of impact monitoring oh an interesting thought about that that i might come back to later because of something that you said earlier on but so that's sort of in there to be able to demonstrate what coaching is happening in an organization then the top level level five is when you incorporate a feedback loop into the whole thing so those insights you're getting aren't just there for quality assurance or to understand what's happening to get a bit more control over it, but it's to continuously improve what's actually happening on the ground and to get better impact year on year.
1: In the organization.
0: Yes. yes. So that's
1: the systemic level, right?
0: That's it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So the original question was, what do I hope happens to profession in the next 25 years? I suppose, I hope that the professionalization journey that we've been on for the last, you know, 35 years continues but continues at a a more systemic level so it's you know i think the way that a coach carries out a coaching conversation now we've got so many resources to support that that is really good you know actually we know that there's a level of quality there's good consistent training that happens and so people have got access to a lot of um you know a lot of people and a lot of things that they didn't in the past But I would hope that in the future that we are thinking at a grander scale, that it's affecting organisations and the wider systems that we're working in and the technologies incorporated in a positive and helpful way. Um, Yes, there we go. I did get there in the end. It took a while, though, didn't it?
1: So one of the things that I've noticed over my whole life as a coach is the risk That still is true in some places where it's almost more of an employee assistance programme than it is a a strategic Mm. impact on the business thing. And so I love what you're saying of really trying to loop it in. And there's something, isn't there, in that journey about making it a really positive developmental thing rather than a remedial. Mm. You get a coach if we think you're a bit broken.
0: Yes. Well, I I think... Uh, gosh again this might sound quite judgmental um maybe i'm not sure this is true i think i think it's true and definitely true in some places that coaching happens in quite a reactive way so a, a person is identified through a performance review or just some conversation or they've got on a, a leadership workshop or something and you know somebody's identified them and we go you could probably do with some coaching and so we sort of kick off some process there are, there are definitely organisations that are doing it in a more strategic way. What I would like to think is that we could take coaching much more in a sort of top-down perspective to be able to say, well, what is the purpose of coaching in the organisation? The, the whole employee assistance concept is a really helpful one because in a lot of organisations, in practice, coaching is run where it's only an interaction between the coach and the coachee. So that whole idea of the coach turns up and says to the coach, "E, what are your goals?" That's yeah. the way you run it. Yeah. When actually, if as an organisation we've decided we want to provide coaching as part of the benefits package, then I know that feels valid. But if we're meant to be doing this as a a women in leadership program and we're giving coaching to some women then there should be a much more systemic lens on that goal setting piece. So it shouldn't be, what do you want to achieve? It should be, what does the organisation want to achieve and what are we going to do to help achieve that? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, we'll have to have you back again, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) I could talk to you for hours. Uh, It's it's so interesting. So if people want to talk to you, uh, particularly organisations who want to talk about Hmm. stuff the stuff you're doing in organizations how do they contact you
0: uh well LinkedIn is always an easy way to get in touch with me um I have a website as well and I'm constantly playing around with it so I'm not sure how long what I'm about to say is going to remain true but my website is isaacson.uk that's nice and simple as long as you can spell Isaacson and um one of the options in the menu I think I've called it an organizational coaching maturity model. Okay. And so you can fill out a form. And at at the moment, the way that it operates, just because of the way I've set up the technology, um, it's it's effectively a self-reflection piece, which will help you to kind of reflect on the different uh, elements that I've included in there. And then I'm able to produce a report, but the report takes me a bit of time to generate and to kind of get the actions in there. So um, if that would be of interest to people, then, hey, go and have a play with that. And just see kind of what happens. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you. And I'll put all those links on the show notes.
0: Thank uh, you, yeah.
1: Sam Isaacson, thank you so much for coming to the Coaching Inn.
0: Claire, it's nice to be in your presence as always. So thank you. And
1: yours. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.